Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Jesus is thinking first the cross, then the crown. First the cross, then the kingdom. First the cross. And Jesus walked in full view of the cross. He knew he came to go to the cross. And so when Peter tried to tell him, no cross for you, Lord, and we looked at it just a couple of weeks ago, Peter said, or Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Part two of Pastor Sam's message, Transfigured. Now, we're currently in the first 13 verses of Matthew 17, looking closely at the transfiguration of Jesus and his appearance to the disciples with Moses and Elijah. Let's listen in as Pastor Sam digs into this event. Moses and Elijah represented in their generations, they were long apart in biblical history. It's not like they lived at the same time or hung out or were buddies. They were just two men that walked with the Lord and represented the Lord. But they represent the Lord today in, in a variety of ways. First of all, Moses represents the law, Elijah, the prophets. Moses and the law, you know, he was the one who received it and then gave it to the people. And the scripture tells us, John tells us, that the law came by Moses or through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, the law points out my great problem, and that is, I'm a guilty sinner, and he's a holy God. The law says, thou shalt not, and I've noticed I did, and I do, and sadly will. I can't meet God's righteous requirement because I'm still a sinner. I'm still walking in this body of flesh that Really, though, I say, hey, you're done. You're history. I'm going with the Lord. I'm walking in the Spirit. The body says, well, we'll see. And there's this constant battle between the flesh and the Spirit within me and within each and every one of us where the flesh wants to dominate our lives and the Spirit desires, and rightly so, to dominate our lives. And so what happens is, well, this battle rages. This war continues and in the midst of it, Moses reminds me that, well, the law condemns me. And then Elijah reminds me of the prophets, points us to the prophets, because he was, in fact, a fearless prophet of the Lord. And the prophets, they point to the solution, you see. The law, my dilemma. I'm a guilty sinner. The prophets, God will send a Savior. God will send Messiah. God will send his Son, who will atone for sin. And then ultimately, you see it, there's, there's Moses the law, there's Elijah the prophets, and then there's Jesus, the fulfillment of it all. He kept the law perfectly. He, he kept it perfectly, and he died, well, a substitutionary sacrifice for you and for me. He was the one the prophets pointed to. When Jesus came on the scene, he didn't just bring the solution to sin, he was and is and will always be God's only solution for sin. So, the law, Moses, the prophets, Elijah. But there's something else here, and, and it goes in another direction entirely, but worth considering in our time together today. Moses also represents to us and for us those who die and ultimately are resurrected at the coming of the Lord. 
you must know that there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. And every person God has justified, declared no longer guilty because of their faith in Jesus. That's, you know, from the Old Testament looking forward to the cross, from the New Testament looking back at the cross. But every person who ever died in faith has been justified. And Moses sort of represents that group. Why? Moses died and was buried and no doubt resurrected. Now, Elijah, on the other hand, he doesn't represent those who will be resurrected, but those who will be raptured. And here's why. Elijah, unlike Moses, never died. Elijah was taken up into heaven, translated, if you will, raptured even better. He was taken up into heaven alive. He never died. So we have in the coming kingdom, and get, this is the context of this whole revelation. Jesus saying, some living here, some among you will not taste death till you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Lock onto that for a moment. He's giving us a picture of the coming kingdom. And there will be those who are resurrected. There will be those of us who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord. When that trumpet sounds and the voice of the archangel sounds, we will be caught up together, raptured to be with them and with him. But there's yet a third group of people. They're represented by Peter, James, and John. These are the people that will make it through the Great Tribulation. They won't have been resurrected because they haven't died. They won't have been raptured because they weren't believers. They won't face the judgment at His coming because they haven't rejected Him or taken the mark of the beast or worshipped the Antichrist. They will be those who enter in to the millennial kingdom of our Lord in their own natural bodies. And by the way, if you're unfamiliar with all of this, you just got to read through Revelation and, and you'll find it. It's there. Something else, though, this answers something that has puzzled many, perhaps not all of you. Perhaps you're like, millennium, rapture, resurrection, don't know any of that from anything. Well, if that's your, your situation, just lock on to the fact that you're a sinner and we're going to help you deal with that before you leave here today. But, but for those of you who are tracking with me, many have wondered if you follow all of this, during the time of Christ's millennial reign on the earth, Satan is bound. We know how long he's bound. We're told for a thousand years. And we know why he's bound, that he could deceive the nations no more. Well, once the thousand years are finished, Satan is released to once again tempt those who have yet to really commit themselves fully to the Lord. There's an opportunity to reject the Lord or to receive the Lord. And if you've ever read through that and wondered, well, who in the world is he tempting? Certainly not those resurrected in their glorified bodies, not those raptured in their glorified bodies. No, it's those who go into the tribulation, survive it, enter into the millennial kingdom where the earth is restored like the Garden of Eden, where lifespans once again are 700, 900, 1,000 years, 1,500 years. For those in their natural bodies, they'll have opportunity to either receive or reject the Lord as we have today. And as most of you, of course, have, well, made a good decision and you're growing in the Lord because you've given your life to the Lord. Well, at this point, in any case, Peter sees the scene and he's all excited, as you can imagine. You would be, I would be. Peter answers and says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Now, that was true. It was a good and glorious revelation. But Peter goes beyond that. He says, if you wish, let's make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. It was almost the time of 
Well, the Feast of Tabernacles, and, and I'm thinking, Peter's thinking, this is it. You, you see, often they said, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, is this now? Can we, when you come into your kingdom, can we sit on your left hand and your right? They were always thinking about, talking about, looking forward to the coming kingdom. And so Peter sees it. There's Elijah. How did he recognize him? Someone asked me after second service, look, I have no clue. I know it wasn't from pictures or probably not drawings. He'd never seen him before and yet he recognized him. But I do know this, that the Bible tells us when we are reunited with those who've been resurrected before us and we who are raptured are caught up to be with them, hey, we're going to recognize one another. Even now, Paul says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. I've done a lot of funerals in the past 20 plus years. And here's, here's the way a funeral goes. The, the service happens, the body is buried. But listen, the person is long gone. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Do you think people recognize each other up there? Absolutely. How they do that's an absolute mystery. But I was thinking, well, we can recognize one another down here. We have these five senses and we can use them to recognize one another. When we get there, we are going to be like him. We're going to be perfected. We won't need eyes or ears or those things to recognize because we'll be communing in the realm of the spirit, of the supernatural, of the eternal. Well, in any case, Peter's sort of locked into the scene before him and he's like, this is awesome. This is great. This is good. Oh, this is as good as it gets. Let's build some booths. And in essence, he's saying, let's just set up the whole deal now. Now, here's why that can't work. Jesus hasn't even died for Peter yet. Peter doesn't fully grasp all this, you see. He's thinking, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. But Jesus is thinking, first the cross, then the crown. First the cross, then the kingdom. First the cross. And Jesus walked in full view of the cross. He knew he came to go to the cross. And so when Peter tried to tell him, no cross for you, Lord, and we looked at it just a couple of weeks ago, Peter said, or Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're not savoring the things of God, but the things of men. And here when Peter's thinking, hey, maybe this is the way to avoid it all. Elijah, Malachi said he'd be coming, and here he is. Moses, this is just too good to be true, Lord. And so let's make some tabernacles. Now, while he was still speaking... Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Three things. First, there is identification. Don't miss it. This is my beloved Son. He was the only begotten of the Father, John will later tell us, full of grace and truth. This is my beloved son, identification. And then there's affirmation, in whom I am well pleased. Oh, how I want to hear that from the Lord. I want to know he's pleased with how I'm living and, and what I'm doing and, and what I'm planning and thinking. And I'm sure you're there too. And if not, man, that's where we're headed, to please him, to glorify him. But first identification, then affirmation, and then, well, exhortation. It's two simple words. That's what guys need. Simple, straightforward, not too many words, not too complicated. Hear him. That's the Father's word to Peter, you see. And Peter, by the way, at this point, is going to be totally freaked out, as are the other disciples. And here's why. They recognize 
Hey, as glorious it is to see, glorious as it is to see Jesus transfigured before them and Moses and Elijah meeting with him. Now they're in the presence of the Father. And we know our God is a consuming fire. Moses was told, no man could see my face and live. And here they are and they hear the voice. And if this is my beloved son, then, well, this is the Father. And they bury themselves in the dirt. They literally are floored by the experience. And that's what we read. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. No understatement. These guys were fearing for their lives. And rightly so. They were in the presence of the holy God. Now here's the irony. They were hanging out with God the Son. And even they failed to recognize His deity. They failed to recognize because He was clothed in humanity. And though they see this glorious transformation, it's a picture of what's coming, they've yet to fully grasp Jesus in all His glory. Well, Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. You'd be shocked if you do a word search. If you have a Bible program for your computer, and by the way, if you don't, talk to us because we can get you something for free or for really cheap that's very good. Everybody who's got a computer should have the Bible on computer. And But, but here's the deal. Um, if you have it and you were to type in stop being afraid or don't be afraid, you would find over and over and over God saying this to his people throughout the scriptures. It is a continual word of encouragement from our Lord. And I'm sure if he said it to them over and over and over, he means it for us. We don't have to be afraid. When we realize the presence of God, we don't have to be afraid. Why? Because Jesus has cleansed us from sin, made us acceptable to the Father. Well, he touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. You know, this was the theme of Calvary's Bible College, at least when it was there at Twin Peaks. That's where Pat went, by the way, and where he met his wife, Andy. And they were in the last class up at Twin Peaks before the Bible College moved to Murrieta. And in those days, the motto or the theme or the, the whatever else you might call it of the Bible College was Jesus alone, as I think King James said it, or Jesus only, or, or just Jesus it's another graphic and glorious picture, you see. It's not about the law. It's not about the prophets. It's about Jesus. And the law was meant to point us to our need for Jesus. And the prophets were meant to point us to the reality of Jesus. And here's what I've noticed. When we take our eyes off Jesus, or you meet believers that aren't passionately in love with Jesus, demonstrably so, they're either going to be about the law or they're going to be about prophecy, or they're going to be about something besides Jesus. Now, the law is good. If one uses it lawfully, that's the testimony of Scripture. The law tells me I'm a guilty sinner. Thou shalt not, I have, therefore I am guilty. And the prophets, hey, they point me to Jesus and they give me hope for the future because I know he's coming again. I know his kingdom will be established on this earth. I know I'll be in it. I have a place with him for eternity. And the prophets tell me all that, and I'm grateful for them. But I'm not fixated on the law, and I'm not fixated on the prophets. No, the Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And when you get with people, and they're not passionate about him, well, they're going to be passionate about something. And I pray that this body of believers, each and every one of you, 
Your passion will be Him. On your lips, what He's done, who He is, what He desires in your heart, the desire to do it. Well, don't be afraid. They lift their eyes, and they saw no one but Jesus only. And they came down from the mountain. Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. This reminds me of something Dr. Van Cleve, he was one of my Bible college teachers, told us, well, this is probably about 23, 24 years ago now. He, he said, visions are personal and private things. I didn't really get that at that point, but over the years, I've, I've begun to understand. And here's why I think he was right. I do believe that God speaks to people today, and I believe God can give people visions today, but for the most part, if he gives you a vision or speaks to you personally, that's for you. And here's what I've noticed. When people go around saying, oh, the Lord told me, and the Lord said, and the Lord, and the Lord, and the Lord, and, and I know they think they're giving glory to God, but it's always the Lord talked to me. He just told me this morning, and I was having Cheerios, and he said, I want you to eat Wheaties, and you know, I put on my blue shirt, he said, I want you to wear yellow, and, and you get into that kind of silliness with people, where it's like the, every, they pray about every little detail of their life. And I'm not mocking, connecting, or praying. I'm simply saying that, listen, the Lord has spoken to us through His Son. And if we know what the Lord has said and we know what the Son wants, well, we don't have to be tripping constantly, Lord, speak to me right now. Do you want me to, to turn left or turn right? Lord, the, the light's turning green. Speak quick. Hey, just make a turn, you see. Get out of the way. The cars are behind you. And don't be worried so much about all that. Now, if the Lord does speak to you, be careful who you tell it to. And here's why. i got to admit to you, I'm a bit of a skeptic. Not a cynic, because I believe the Lord speaks to people. But I've noticed that most people, not all, not all of you, don't, don't get paranoid, but most people who are always saying, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, you know, or I saw, or I had this vision, or this happened, or I had this dream, that they're just a little bit strange. I'm not, I, 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 that's just the way it is. Now, I'm telling you, I do believe the Lord speaks to people. I believe he speaks through people. But be careful, because if I, who was a pastor who believe all that, think you're a little strange, well, what is the world going to think of you? And they don't need to, to hear from you, hey, I had this glorious vision, and there I was, and I was, you know. They need to hear about Jesus. They need to know, what does the Bible say? It's Jesus alone. It's Jesus only. When they awoke, they saw him. And the Father had spoken, saying, hear him. And that's what people need, see? They need Jesus. Well, in any case, they did have the vision. And Jesus said, don't tell it to anybody. Not until after the resurrection. There'll come a time. Now, if God gives you a vision or gives you a word, and you're sure it's him talking through you, he's saying, hey, I want you to share this. Go share this. Well, don't delay to do that either. Don't worry. Well, what if they think? Don't worry about what people think if you're sure it's the Lord. But be sure it's the Lord. And be sure that it wasn't just for you. Before you come saying, thus says the Lord. And the disciples asked saying, well, they had a dilemma. Why do the scribes say Elijah must come first? You see, Malachi taught that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, Elijah would return. And these guys know that. They're starting to gather that, okay, Peter said it. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. They put two and two together, but Elijah's supposed to come first. Now they actually see Elijah, but he goes away, and they're like, well, how is the kingdom going to be established? Isn't Elijah supposed to come first? And Jesus deals with their dilemma, well, and answers some other important questions for us in the process. Jesus answered and said to them, Elijah truly is coming first and will restore all things. I want you to note those words, is and will. 
Well, their future tense, you see. He's going to come and he will, he will do what the prophets said he would do. The problem is, now he's going to look back and he's going to talk about someone else. And, and so you need to see that there's two pictures here, one of his first coming, one of his second coming. Elijah, the real Elijah, appears with Jesus, but will return to the earth. And I'm convinced that when you get to Revelation 11, and there in your, you're in the heart of the Great Tribulation, two witnesses, I'm convinced one of them is Elijah. And I'm pretty sure the other will, in fact, be Moses. But he says here, Elijah, well, he will come, and he will restore all things. That's why I think he has to be one of those witnesses. He's got to come back. He's got to fulfill the prophecies. But he goes on to say, now looking back, and don't be confused by this, I say to you, Elijah has come already, and they didn't know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood. He spoke to them of John the Baptist. You see, the Father knew the Son would be rejected. If the Son had not been rejected, well... It wouldn't have been John, it would have been Elijah. If the son was establishing his kingdom on the earth then and there, and permanently, well, it would have been Elijah and not John. But John was the forerunner of Jesus in his first coming. Elijah will be his forerunner in his second coming. Why? Because Jesus said so. Because Malachi said so. Because the scriptures say so. Well, I want you to turn with me to Second Peter, and some of you are like, Phew. he said that would be the end. Yes, and uh, lunch is waiting. But Second Peter chapter 1, just a verse. It's right on the tail, by the way, of that which I read to you earlier, where Peter gives that glorious declaration of his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. And if you like me, well... There was a time where I thought, Lord, if I could just see a vision, if I could just see you in glory, if you'd just do something outwardly, that would really help me, Lord. And you know what I heard from the Lord when I said all that? Nothing. He never answered it at all. But as I read through his word, I start to see why. And, and here's why. If you, like me, are one that has said, well, if you just show me your glory, if you just appear to me personally, then I'd believe in you completely. Maybe that's some of you who are unbelievers today and you're saying, I just need a sign from heaven. No, what you need is the more sure word of prophecy and that's what Second Peter 2.19 says. After saying this is what we heard and saw and this was our experience and it was glorious, he says we have also the prophetic word made more sure. It's the more sure word of prophecy which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What's Peter telling us? That there is something more sure than our visions or than our experiences. And that's the sure word of the Lord, of the prophets. He tells us the prophets weren't speaking of themselves. The Lord was moving on them and working through them. And he says we would do well to heed his word until what? Until the day dawns. And the morning star arises in our heart. His word, a light shining in a dark place. You see, I don't need a vision. 
I have the sure word of the Lord. I have a promise from the Lord. And if he wants more for me, hey, bring it on. I'm well welcoming it. But I'm saying I have the more sure word of prophecy. And he says it's a light in a dark place until the day dawns and until the morning star. That, by the way, one of many scriptural references to our Lord and Savior. Till the morning star rises in your hearts. As we contemplate what it must have been like for these disciples to see the transfigured Jesus, realize that the same thing awaits us. Some of us will see him in his glory in our lifetimes, and some of us will pass before he comes, but we will all see him on the same day. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 tells us, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.